So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. I am so excited about today's guest. We have Garrett Sutton on, and he is the author of Real Estate Loopholes, um, and he is also a Rich Dad Poor Dad advisor. We're going to talk a lot about that, and we're going to talk about real estate, of course, um, but this is, this is going to be a good one for, for my audience, and I know they're excited. So without any further ado, let's bring him on in. Garrett, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, AJ. Pleasure to be with you. So, you know, real quick, why don't you give people a little bit of background and kind of interesting. You're in the real estate game, obviously, with the Rich Dad Poor Dad stuff. Tell us, tell us about your, your path and, and where you came from. Well, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and went to college at uh, Berkeley and then went across the Bay to San Francisco and went to Hastings College of the Law, which is the University of California's law school in San Francisco. And I always liked corporations. I don't know why. I just took to that course. And so when I finished law school, I practiced corporate law in San Francisco and Washington, D.C., and kind of got tired of the big cities and moved to Reno, uh, which is, you know, Nevada is a great uh, place for corporate law. And Reno is a gr- great place if you like skiing and hiking. So yeah, I, I have been, a I have a real estate there. So I have a hundred thousand. Oh, yeah, I have a hundred and. 30,000 square foot self-storage facility there. Well, we'll have to talk about that offline. That's great. Um, So yeah, Reno's uh, really growing. A lot of people from California are moving in here, as you might imagine. And uh, so it's just been great. And then in the year 2000, I became associated with Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Group. And that's allowed me to travel around the United States and around the world, uh, talking to people about financial education. Yeah. Uh, so now, uh, now my, this is interesting, first of all, because of your background and how you got involved. In that. So why you, you talk about you, you got involved with Rich Dad, but what, was that kind of your passion? Did you wanted to get away? Were you interested in real estate investing uh, to begin with? I mean, it, it's kind of a unique path. Uh, what led you to that to go away from you got this great degree, you know, you're, you're working in the corporate world. What brought you to that to teach financial education? Obviously, I love it. But well, uh, you know, Robert put together a team of advisors with a CPA and a real estate professional, and they needed a lawyer that did uh, LLCs and corporations. And so that's how I fit into the uh, to the group. And you know, Robert made it pretty clear that everybody on the team needs to invest in real estate. So I'd always been interested in real estate, but that really forced my hand. And I've been buying real estate since, which, of course, has been a really great thing to do. Yes, it has. So now maybe talk to us a little bit about you started investing in real estate, obviously under Robert Kiyosaki, that's a pretty good mentor, I, uh, I'd say. You had some interesting connections there, and I'm sure that worked out good. What was your focus? Did you focus on residential, or you know, where'd you go with that? Well, I started with a house that you know my wife and I bought a bigger house, and if we sold the old house, we wouldn't have received any money. So I just kept it as a rental, and that was my first property. It was just a single-family rental property. Uh, and that was before Robert. And then, uh, you know, I just 
coming in contact with Robert and all, I started investing in apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. And so I had a couple apartment buildings. And then recently, uh, due to my wife's uh, thinking, uh, we've gone away from apartments into triple net lease properties. So okay. uh, that's that's what she likes. The you know not much management. Uh-huh. Uh, you know good corporate tenants. Yep. Uh, and so that's been a good strategy for us. That's awesome. And do you have a market or area that you invest in, or is it? Well, I don't or? invest in California. I would not invest in California now. Me neither. <laughs> uh, seeing what's going on there. Um, and all the people that are leaving and coming to Nevada and other intermountain states. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I'm in I like Boise, to, and it's the same thing. I mean, Boise and Reno were, Boise were being sure. overrun. Yeah. I mean, every 10th plate is a California plate in mm-hmm. Reno. I'm sure that's uh, yep. somewhat true in Boise. It is. Same. Uh, so I like investing in Nevada. Um, I also have some investments in Arizona, uh, one in Florida. Um, so I like being in states where, you know, the rule of law still applies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's in- it's interesting how much in the last six months our markets have been limited down. There's places where we will no longer invest. And you're seeing this also in the macro side. I mean, you're seeing in California or excuse me, California, but also, um, you know, L.A., but you're seeing what's going on in New York. And I mean, the U-Haul numbers that are coming out of there is like nothing they've ever seen. I mean, it's it. They, you literally can't get U-Haul trucks there. It's just it's overwhelming how many people are going out, and you know that is a big problem for us real estate investors, right? We we live and die off supply and demand, and uh, um, there's a deflationary effect when you have this net out as opposed to pouring in, um, which has an effect on, obviously, your uh, appreciation income you can get. Now, tell me this, though. On the legal side, you know, this is your expertise. For somebody getting started here, what are the do's and don'ts? What do they need to know, and how do you stay out of trouble? How do you how do you stay out of trouble by you're in a market, maybe people start to leave, and what do you do as far as foreclosures, and how should you set it up, all that? Well, at the start, when you buy that first property, I always recommend that people take title in the name of an LLC. All right. If a tenant sues over the property, let's just say you bought a single family home, a tenant sues over that property and it's in your individual name, they can get all your personal assets, right? They can get your bank account, uh, the equity in your house. So by having that LLC, you, uh, you are insulated uh, the, the claim is against the LLC. They can get what's inside the LLC, maybe the equity in the house. Hopefully you have insurance, but they can't get beyond the walls of the LLC to get at your personal assets. So right at the start, I think having an LLC to take title to that property is a good way to go. The other thing to understand, AJ, is you, you know if you get sued, it's too late to set up the LLC. Right. Yeah. Once you've been sued and title is in your individual name, you can't later set up an LLC and hope to be protected. So it's best to just do it now. These LLCs are not expensive to set up. They're not hard to maintain and they give you a level of protection. Now, I always recommend that people have insurance. Right. Insurance on that rental property is the first line of defense. But these insurance companies have an economic incentive not to cover every claim. Yeah. So you need this LLC as the second line of defense. No, absolutely. And there are a lot of, uh, you know, interesting uh, 
things that get under insurance. It, it, it's amazing once you have a claim to find out, oh, well, we protected against water, just not in the way the water entered the building on that. You're like, wait, what? Right. And, you know, it's, and you don't <laughs> ever find that out until you try to get the claim approved. Exactly. Then that all comes out. Right. Uh, but, so, no, that that's awesome. And now when you're doing, you know, we've had this discussion obviously a lot and with my properties across different states and everything we're doing. Explain to people, should you do the LLC individually? So per property, or do you do one LLC, put them all in? And is that something you need to repeat? What kind of structure after your first property, as you're expanding and you want to grow your empire and you want to get right. you know, rentals everywhere? And how does that structure work and look? Well, a couple points there. The first one is how many properties would you put into an LLC, right? Um you know, you could put two properties in one, but I wouldn't put 10 in one because if the tenant sues on the inside attack, they can get what's inside the LLC. That would give them the ability to get the equity in all 10 properties because the, the LLC holds 10 properties. So it's a judgment call, AG. How many properties do you put into one LLC? I recommend not more than three. You know, if and and it's you know, there are a couple issues. So let's say you had a million dollar house free and clear and you put it in the same LLC as a duplex that you rent to the Hells Angels. You know, I just wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. put those two together. I mean, you get sued by the Hells Angels. They have a shot at getting the million dollar house because it's in the same LLC. Yeah. So that was the first point. The second point is when you go across the country, I like to set up the LLC in the state where the property is located. Right. So you have an Idaho property. You put it in an Idaho LLC. The next property is a Montana uh, property. You put that in a Montana LLC. And then you have both of those owned by one Wyoming LLC. And that's for the good asset protection on the outside attack. The inside attack is where the tenant sues. They can get what's inside the, the LLC in all 50 states. Right. The outside attack is where you get in a horrific car wreck, right? It has nothing to do with the real estate, but they'd like to get at the real estate. Uh, so we have the uh, Idaho and Montana LLC owned by that one Wyoming LLC. So the car wreck driver who has a judgment against you wants to collect and they have to go through the Wyoming LLC to get to Idaho and Montana. And Wyoming has very good asset protection. And basically, the, um, the asset protection vehicle there is called the charging order. And that means it's a lien on distribution. So someone has a claim against you, AJ, and they want to get at the real estate, but they have to go through your uh, Wyoming LLC. And the court there says, sorry, you can't sell AJ's properties. You have to wait till distributions come out of the Wyoming LLC before you get anything you may not make any distributions. It's really a good block uh, against these predators that would try and get at your other properties. Now, tell me about, because uh, one of the things that we do a lot is we incorporate in Delaware. Um, talk a little bit about that. And we have, because we have our holdings company, we have our LLCs yeah. underneath it. We incorporate in Delaware for a lot <laughs> of our um, LLCs. Uh, do you mind talking on that a little? Because, and, and I think we have one in Wyoming too, um, because there's a few of these states, not all states are created the same and how they handle these. Um, definitely difference between Wyoming and uh, California. Right. 
So it's interesting. During the American Revolution, we were fighting the British East India Company. And at the founding, uh, after the revolution, the, uh, found, the founders didn't want to have one national corporate law. Right. Most state, most countries, Canada, Australia, they have national corporate laws. We have it state by state. And so that's good because we have Delaware, Wyoming and Nevada that compete against each other to be the best state for asset protection and corporate protection zone. And so Delaware, Nevada and Wyoming are are awesome when it comes to asset protection. Um, I like Wyoming over Nevada and Delaware because, first of all, the annual fee is only $52 a year. And it's higher than that in in Delaware and Nevada. As well, in Wyoming, they don't list your name on the state website as being an owner of the LLC. So you have some privacy there. Um, And it's just more remote. I mean, there are not as many uh, attorneys in Wyoming as there are in Delaware. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So... We just like to make it as difficult as possible for someone who's looking to come after you to sue. Uh Um, And so that's why in in virtually all the cases, unless you own property in Nevada, uh, we set up a Wyoming LLC. That's so interesting. You know, another thing, too, that we tried to do is we have the multiple layers of property and then we'd have a holdings company, which we drain our funds and capital and refinance out every single month out of our LLC, take it up into the holdings, and we do disbursements from there, not at the individual LLC. Um, Can you talk about the flow of capital from you to the LLCs and why that's important? Um, Well, I'll say you're doing it right. Um, The way you just described is the way to do it. So your, your Idaho LLC is taking in rents, paying expenses, And then it has a profit, which you don't want to keep in the Idaho LLC because if a tenant sues, that's money they could reach. So you want to have a pattern of distributions to the holding company, right? No one's going to sue the holding company. That entity is passive. It doesn't have contracts with anyone. It doesn't enter into any sort of business activity uh, with anyone for which it could get sued. All right. So in our example, the Wyoming LLC is just a passive holding in it. So the money from Idaho goes to Wyoming and it can stay in the Wyoming, but then we also like to flow money to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So it distributes to you and then you pay the taxes at your personal level. Now, let's talk a little bit about that, um, taxes and how they're affected by these different structures. Um, I, you know, I've heard a lot of people that do this in S-Corps versus LLCs. Could you explain the difference between an S-Corp and an LLC and why that would matter to an individual? Well, the LLC can be taxed however you want. It can be taxed as a partnership, as a C-Corp or an S-Corp. Typically, when you own real estate, you want it to be taxed as a, a partnership or a discarded entity. So you have that flow through. Um, and you don't want to pay salaries at that point because with salaries, you have those darn payroll taxes. Right. So a lot of my clients will have a management company off to the side that's not owned by anybody else, but just the the owners. And the management company would be an LLC taxed as an S-Corp. And with the S-Corp, we can minimize the payroll taxes uh, so that distribution, you know, the, the money flowing through, you pay the 
when you're the owner of the uh, company and the employee, you're paying both halves of the payroll tax. You're paying 15.3%. And as we know, Social Security is broke. So, you know, we want to minimize the amount. You got to pay something. The IRS will come after you if you don't pay something. But we want to pay a reasonable salary on the low end, pay the payroll taxes on that. And uh, then that the management company is a good place to do that. And every, all the other properties, the money's flow through. There's no salary, so we won't have to pay payroll taxes. Money's just flow through to you as a distribution. So, you know... This is so interesting because uh, once you kind of get it into talking, it becomes kind of second nature. But is there any reasons why you would want to do an escort based not on real estate, but just in general? So, you know, there are these structures around. And and I think a lot of people wonder is like, well, then what situations would I want to use an escort for? Well, to hold a piece of real estate, you would not use escort taxation. All right. If the if the property, if the. You know, the property's on title uh, with an LLC. You wouldn't have a tax as an S. You wouldn't take title to a property in the name of an S corp, just a regular corporation taxes an S corp. The reason is, is when you distribute that property out of the entity that's taxes an S, that's a taxable event. You're making a distribution to you for which there's a tax. So, for example, this comes up where you're going to refinance the property, right? And the bank says, all right, AJ, transfer the property out of the LLC to you, right? We're going to put the bank financing on, and then you can transfer it back into the LLC. And with an LLC, uh, taxes a partnership, that comes in and out at its basis. You paid $100,000 for it. It transfers out at $100,000. It comes back in at $100,000. With an S-Corp, if the property increased in value, instead of its basis, its new value is 200000 So you transfer it from the S-Corp to you, and there's a $100,000 gain there, right? The yeah. property's worth two hundred. dollars The, the uh, tax authorities say, look, you transfer it out of an S-Corp. That's a distribution to you, uh-huh. right? So there's a $100,000 tax obligation there. So the, the S-Corp is not ideal for holding real estate. The S Corp is ideal for a management company, right? But you don't want to combine the two. You don't want to have an LLC taxes an S that is going to be holding real estate. You know, it, it, it's interesting, and I bring this up because I have uh, run into people that had situations with a C Corp. They were told to put their um, real estate asset in a C Corp. And then when yeah. they went to sell it, there's a big problem. And There's a huge problem. Huge problem. And, you know, I at first I thought this was a conversation I would never need to have. And this year I've run into it twice with sellers. Yeah. Um, so right. why don't you explain a C-Corp? So for any of you that has your advisor that may be saying, yeah, you need to do this in a C-Corp, which apparently this happens. Um, will you please explain why a C-Corp is problematic? Well, first of all, if your advisor says put title to real estate in a C corp, that's when you get up and leave. Yes, because they don't know they don't know what they're doing. Um, so with the C corp, it's like the S corp we just mentioned. When you take the property out of the C corp, you've got a tax at the C corp level, and then when you want to get the money to you, you've got a tax on the distribution, and so you've got the double tax again. 
So you won't take title in a C-Corp. Now, AJ, if some of your friends did that this year, so they put title to the property in a C-Corp in 2020, and we haven't crossed the tax year, we can transfer it to an LLC and just say, oh, we made a mistake, right? Yeah. So, you know, you want to make that, you want to correct that immediately. There are ways to correct it if it happened recently. Okay. It, and this is interesting. My discussion with some of these sellers that have had it in for a long time, they don't want you to do an asset purchase. They want you to assume the shares because yeah. that's how it, it's it basically from what I understand, you can explain it. It's hot potato who pays the taxes. And uh, I don't want to hold that hot potato. Um, so the assuming of the shares though, but for me, the real problem is is when I, in, in once again, I want you to talk to this, because but when I do, this is why we have you on, but when I do an LLC, see, when they have an LLC, I do an asset purchase, I'm leaving liability with them. I'm purchasing their assets. When they want me to buy the shares as an S-corp or a C-corp, which sounds innocent at first, maybe, um, the real problem is I get all the baggage. So I get their past baggage, which I may know nothing about. Am I right in my thinking there? You are absolutely correct, AJ. So you're going to have a big tax. They're going to have a better tax treatment if they sell the shares, right? They're, that's just a capital gains transaction. But you keep title in that entity, whether it's an LLC corporation or whatever, you keep title in that entity. And let's say that uh, one of the secretaries uh, was harassed last year. And, you know, the, the owner sells to you, you take over the corporation. She has a claim against the corporation. So she gets to sue the corporation in which you had nothing to do with the harassment. But now that's the corporate responsibility that you took on. So you don't know what skeletons are in the closet with these corporations or LLC. So you're much better off buying the assets. Awesome. So um, first of all, thank you. That was it's just an awesome explanation. All those, I think it made it really clear. And that's a huge, huge, uh, 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 value to our audience. Um, but I want to talk a little bit here now. Um, we talk about the setup, we talk about the importance of legal, you know, that's of you tell us about your experience when, you know, working for, um, Robert and understanding better financial freedom and the importance of what have you kind of learned on your journey? You, you've, I mean, you're extremely well-educated. You have a lot of um, great life experience. You've done it all. Talk to us a little bit about this financial freedom journey, what your passions are now in it, and you know, kind of where you set up because it's so interesting to me. Well, you know, last October, I went with Robert to Singapore and Japan. We went to the World Rugby Cup. Robert's a huge rugby fan. Uh, and then we went to New Zealand. And, you know, it's just great meeting people – around the world that have a passion for financial education, for advancing their economic interests. Uh, and, you know, with COVID, obviously no one's traveling. So at some point we'll get back on the road doing it. Uh, but one of the key things, AJ, for me was, you know, I have three kids and, you know, the old man can't teach him anything. Right. So yeah. I've taken them on these trips with Robert. And they learn from him. They're sitting in the audience learning from him. And then, then they're backstage hearing about everything. Yeah. And it has just been terrific for Robert to be their mentor uh, on this journey. And so, 
you know, I think my kids are pretty, pretty ready. You know, they're just in college and getting out of my son's in law school, you know, ready to move on, but they're, they're ready to invest in real estate. And so if you have kids and there's a way to teach them uh, the advantages and the benefits of this, by all means do it. I was extremely fortunate to be able to take my kids on tour with Robert. Um, but, you know, as a parent, there, there are ways to get that education uh, to your children. Robert has what's called, you know, the, the cash flow game. And there's one for kids. And you can start teaching your kids about this because it's really important uh, for them to learn about this before they go to college and get indoctrinated, right? Yes. Um, so uh, yes. that for me was important. No, I, I, I love that. It's, you know, and I think a lot of people feel that even because they haven't achieved it, they shouldn't be talking to it with their kids. And I, I've always looked at it as like, why don't you talk to them about the journey you're on? Why don't you talk to them maybe about why you are listening to these podcasts and reading these books and why you're striving to achieve financial freedom? Because they're going to see where you're trying to get to and why you're trying to get there. And I think right. that plants really good seeds. And it, it starts them asking questions that they wouldn't ask before. And when they get an adult and people say, here's your path and here's how you need to be, things like that, they're going to say, well, now hold on. And they'll, you know, they have something to bounce off that. They have context to give, even if you haven't done it. Well, and it becomes a uniting family activity too. I mean, it's something that brings the family together. And, and you know, mom and dad, maybe things haven't been, all that great. They're still trying, but you give the kids hope that, you know, the next generation can do it. Yeah. No, I, I love that fact about the, you know, really a unified purpose, you know, for the family in our right. that that's very close to me. I work with my father, um, my brother-in-law. Uh, I, I got to take my son on a new acquisition. We are buying a property in another state and he got to go walk around and meet with the banks and it's it's a unifying process that transcends fads or fades that is meaningful and impactful in their life that they're all going to care care about. There is just no way that your kids are not going to care about money, right? It just doesn't happen. No matter how much they tell themselves that oh, money's not important. When it's time to feed themselves, they're going to care, and they're going to get sick of working at whatever job they're working at. And they're going to care. And so it's a time that even if they're not interested in now, I feel like it always comes back and it gives a purpose to say, listen, we're, we're doing this to achieve this financial freedom and this life and the dream that we want. And I think it's incredible showing your kids that you're still chasing dreams, right? I think that's important for everyone to do. And there's no better example than a parent at whenever you are, I've, I got four kids, so I'm obviously passionate about this, uh, you know, but showing up <laughs> saying, Hey, you need to go out there and you need to achieve your dreams. And, uh, you know, as a family, we, we go after it together. We try to achieve dreams together and rich dad, poor dad offers this great, like, you know, I, I played their, um, the app. It was an app game, right. With my son right. and we go on trips and he just want to play it all the time. And it's, it's a way that you can have those conversations. Like you said, right. A lot of times, you know, especially my oldest daughter, uh, dad, go on, let's, we're down with this. Right. But when it comes down to playing one of the cash flow to freedom games or something like that, you know, or the rich dad, poor dad games, it's now fun. 
and it creates conversations. And I think that's really cool how much time, um, you know, the rich dad companies spent creating that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Robert tried to get it into the school system and gosh, to try and get something dealing with uh, financial education into the school system, it's just impossible. I mean, you parents have to do it. The kids for, for the foreseeable future until things really change, the kids are going to have to get it uh, at home. You know, the schools are not going to teach this. Oh, and schools so are broken. it's up to the parents to do it. Yeah. The, the schools are completely broken. It, you know, that's another thing I'm always about. Um, we we didn't like it so much. We actually just went and bought ourselves a school. So we yeah. bought a school that we turned into a business school, and it's K through high school. We're building a high school now, hundreds of kids, and uh, it's we had to do it. We're like, it's the only way it's going to happen because you're right. Trying to change that system, it's yeah. impossible. It's right. they're, they're, it, because they're, it's not about change. The education system is not about changing. It's no. not made to change. And we see how much that's failed um, so many of us. Well, I mean, we see it on the streets. I mean, these, these, a lot of people just don't have any sense of not only business, but American history and civics. Uh, so c- congratulations to you for doing that school. I think that's terrific. Yeah, it's, you know, I once again, it's one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on because I'm so passionate about education and particularly financial education and you know you are in this just incredible spot where i mean so many of us rich dad poor dad was like the first book that we started reading right that was our first step into financial freedom it's like okay here's the basics which you know we're talking like adults like you're talking people in their 50s that are picking up a rich dad poor dad and going why why didn't ever anybody ever tell me this like really i'm 55 and now i'm hearing this it's it's kind of shocking (laughs) Yeah, it is. And so if you can pass that on to your kids so that, you know, they don't become 55 and and understand that they need to know this now, if you can pass it on to your kids at an early age, even, you know, like the daughter that doesn't really want to participate, but she's picking it up. Right. Yeah. And and she may want her boyfriend to know that. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to pound it into their head, even if they don't want to know. <laughs> so, um, well, we, we only have uh, 10 minutes left here, but I do want to cover a few th- things. So first of all, tell us currently, what what's your plan? Like, what are you going, what are you investing in? What are you seeing? And what are headwinds? Like, what are the things we should be worried about when investing um, and how to, uh, how to navigate those things? Well, I think one of the headwinds is these states that are becoming so, um, you know, let's say tenant friendly. So, uh, you know, not following the rule of law. So I think one of the headwinds is if you really want to invest in California or a state like that, you just have to, you have to think three or four times over whether you're going to do that because California is now talking about a wealth tax, um, you know, and the, uh, the rate is going to go from 13% to 16% uh, on state income tax. And so, you just have to think about where you want to invest. Um, the The other thing is, uh, you know, what are we investing in? Um, you know, I, I have these triple net lease properties and, and other real estate properties, but, uh, you know, in, we, we have a call with Robert every week and uh, he's, he's going into gold. And uh, so, so is Warren Buffett. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I kind of follow Robert. So I've, I've purchased some metals Um, 
just as a hedge. I mean, yeah. you know, you're not going to do a hundred percent, but to have some is um, what a lot of people are, are doing right now, just because there's so much uncertainty right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, we are printing money. Like I, I think we're running, wearing out the printing presses. Jeez, um, and so no one's even talking about the consequences of, of all this debt. Um, so I think gold and silver are, are a pretty good hedge against that. You know, it's, it, it's interesting um, at the fiscal irresponsibleness of our government as a whole. As a whole, this isn't even right. size. They're all just, they're just doesn't, it's, you know, we talked about moral hazard a lot in 2008, and now we see it. And moral hazard means once you bail them out, they expect it every time. And people right. now have no incentive to do what's right because the government will take care of everything. And um, people said, that's not a thing. No, don't worry. Let's don't even worry about it. No, they're never going to do this again. I mean, we didn't even get 10 years. Uh, I mean, barely, like literally on the anniversary is boom. It's, you know, well, start those things up. And this time, you know, where we're at and what's going on, um, it, how much does that play into your outlook? So, you know, you have this macro and this micro. So, and you've hit on it really good. You know, states are extremely important because like, you know, I, I view it like macro, you have to understand, but micro, you really make your money. Right. Um, and you'd stay out of danger right there. So when you're looking at this stuff and you're looking at these printing presses, which aren't going to end, we have, we don't even see an end to them. Right. They've now. given up. They, yeah. they, there's no attempt to pay back the debt. Uh, there's going to be some sort of devaluation or whatever, uh, massive inflation. So I think gold and silver is good for that, but so is real estate. I mean, instead of having cash, you much, you're much better off having uh, storage units or other real estate. No, I, couldn't agree more. Um, I once again, I don't want to take up uh, all your time, but first of all, uh, you guys need to check out the book "Real Estate Loop- Loopholes" and um, "Loopholes of Real Estate." Loopholes of real estate, and that's it, right. It's right here. I have to hold it up. Yes, so. you got to hold it up. It's. It, I mean, it's easy to tell because it's the re, uh, 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 Robert Kiyosaki, the rich dad kind of look and feel everything. The purple. Yes, that's right. The purple. So, um, uh, but you know, aside from that, which is awesome. This stuff, this legal stuff, the stuff that you're talking about, you guys, nobody thinks about this stuff until it's too late. And then, then it doesn't matter. Like you said, when you started out, when you have to actually address it because you didn't first, now it's too late. So, um, thank you for covering this, but where can people go out to learn more about you? Where can they reach out to find out more about you? If they have questions, where do they go? Well, our main website is corporatedirect.com. So corporatedirect.com. And then we offer a free 15-minute telephone consultation uh, with people. If they want to set up a corporation or an LLC, we set them up in all 50 states. Uh, if they need a new registered agent, we offer that service in all 50 states. So they can call us, uh, 800-600-1760. So that's 800-600-1760. You can get on the call with an incorporating specialist and, and see if we can help you. Uh, see if, you know, we connect and, and, you know, we can provide you the services you need. Yeah. So and, we'd be happy to talk to your listeners. Yeah. And, and, and too, once again, if you don't know, you ask. I, I, I can't even I, – I just can't stress that enough. Like everything I touch, I'm like I have to have my attorneys because I'm one of those people and the people that listen to my podcast know I didn't do that once and it almost took me down. I don't do that anymore. 
if you don't know, don't don't assume and don't sign. And don't just say, eh, I'll worry about it later. So if you don't know or if you don't know if you're even doing it right, just call and ask and get people that are professionals in real estate, um, not like the people that I explained earlier that were trying to sell me their, their real estate and C-Corps because they didn't know what they're doing. So even if you don't know if your advice is good, it's always, it's always worth another look. But thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your advice. Um, very timely. And a lot of people are worried about risk. So this was uh, wonderful. And we'll put that stuff in the show notes. Great. Thanks for having me, AJ. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflowwiththenumber2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.